Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Haley Hechtman. She is the executive director at Causeway Work Center based in Ottawa, Ontario. How are you doing today, Haley? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here and share a bit about your story and journey with us today. I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's jump right in, Haley. You've had years of experience working in the social services sector and with aim and focus, particularly in leadership and decision-making around mental wellness, disability, and youth organizations. How long did you work in that sector or industry? Yeah, so I've been working in the sector for the last 10 years and still working in it now. Mm -hmm. Okay. What inspired or interested you in that field of work in the first place? Well, I'm really, I'm passionate about really creating environments where people feel empowered to see their potential. I think that's something that I've always really looked at in terms of fostering not just people who are accessing services, but also the teams that are working with them. I really like, you know, being able to create an environment that is supportive and where people who are working within that space are just as encouraged and feel just as called to do the work that they're doing as as I do. And so that was something I, I really was inspired to go into the field. And also, I just really like seeing patterns between the work that's being done across the community. I'm interested in seeing ways to work together and, and really uh-huh. enhancing advocacy so everyone's able to see their value. Some of the work you were doing ended up leading you into founding the Yukon Distress and Support Line. How did that whole experience come about for you? Yeah. So with the Distress Line, I had actually worked in Distress Lines previous to that. I actually okay. started started my career when I was in, actually, when I was in university, I was taking a psychology degree and it dawned on me about a year and a half or so into that degree that I was getting a degree in understanding people without having any requirement to interact with people. Uh, And I thought that was bizarre. So I was looking for ways to, to get involved and get some experience and be a part of something. And so I ended up volunteering at a distress line there Uh and really enjoyed the experience, spent a lot of time, you know, really diving into providing that support and being on the phone line and then transitioned into working in volunteer coordination and then eventually into running that distress line. And so when I did move up to the Yukon, I was looking for something similar and and for ways to be involved in a similar kind of organization. And there wasn't anything at the time. And so I ended up connecting with an organization providing some peer support programming around mental health and starting having some conversations with them and community members, the RCMP and mental health services and First Nations governments and and just people in general in the community on whether or not that would be something that they felt their community could benefit from. And so 
the overwhelming response was yes, that it would be positive. You know, there were definitely a few people who, who thought maybe it would be a challenge to put together or that right. we wouldn't be able to get enough volunteers, but the overall idea people were supportive of. And so we started down the development of that line and really it all came back down to volunteers and finding people who were willing to, to put in that time. And it turned out that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't as challenging as we thought it was going to be. Lots of people came forward with interest in volunteering. And one of the things actually I appreciated most about that experience was getting to see people come together who didn't have any background in that field. They weren't counselors or social workers, but they were people who, said that at different points in time when they were struggling, they would have really benefited from a service like that. And that's what drew them to volunteering. And so it became really community driven and the people who volunteered for the line really took a lot of ownership over it. And that was something that was really amazing to see and be a part of. That's incredible when community comes together like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, these people who were, I guess, for lack of a better term, naysayers, when you were first thinking about putting the idea, were they incredibly resistant to it and kind of throwing up roadblocks? Or were they just saying that, oh, this won't work, we we can't do it, we don't have the resources? I would say there are a few naysayers, for sure. But Mm. I think at the end of the day, you know, a couple of the people that I had those original conversations with later on came back and said, you know, I'm, I'm glad you went forward with it. I didn't, I didn't see that it was going to happen, but I can see that it's happening now. So, so they came around and I think overall the response was really positive. It's, you know, one of the things that I'm really conscious of and conscientious of now is just the importance of making sure that solutions are driven from within the community. I obviously came with an idea, but it was so much more important to see people really respond to that and make it their own rather than it be something that was driven just by my perspective of what would be helpful. So the community Mm. move coming together around it, I think really changed that. Did you go up there with that purpose? I didn't. I went okay. up there because my my partner, he had an opportunity to to take on a really great role. And I had no idea what to expect when I was first moving up north. It was an adventure and it was something I had never really thought of before. And it turned out to be such an amazing experience for me to, to try so many different things and be a part of a lot of different initiatives and projects across the territory and, and really get a chance to see impact happen close hand. I think one of the the great benefits of working in a smaller community is that you can really see what your work, how far your work can go right. super quickly and really directly uh, where in, you know, bigger cities, it's a little bit harder to do that. So yeah. yeah, it's something I really enjoyed and appreciated. Is mental health a really, really big issue in the Yukon? I mean, I've never been, so mm-hmm. I'm just curious how serious that issue is there. Oh, for sure. I think it's, it's, well, it's a serious issue everywhere, especially, especially right now. But I think one of the, one of the biggest need areas that we saw when we were putting together the, the planning for the line was that there weren't very many opportunities for people to get anonymous and confidential support that because it's such a small place and there's lots of not, you know, I, you know, I lived in Whitehorse, which is the biggest center, but there's Mm -hmm. lots of smaller communities around the territory. You know, you know, everyone (laughs) in in your community. So having, you know, if you're struggling the access to people that you don't know, or that you don't already have some pre-existing relationship with is, is pretty challenging. So that was something, you know, we definitely saw as a big gap. And then the other thing is it is a quite 
government centered place. So there weren't Mm. a lot of services that were available for people after, you know, after hours. Now, once you got that whole distress and support line up and running, what was your role? How did you fit into that whole thing after you got this all up and going? Mm -hmm. So I actually ended up transitioning the line. So it started off with Second Opinion Society, which is a small peer support led organization. And so we recognized fairly early on to the existence of the line that it really needed a little bit more backbone support from a larger organization. And so I ended up supporting the transition to that larger organization. And then the line itself was able to run pretty seamlessly on volunteers. There was a lot of areas where we provided some enhanced responsibility and opportunities for people to to really dive in. And so I actually transitioned out of the line and into a new role uh, shortly thereafter at, a, at another organization. That's got to feel pretty amazing that you were such a, a huge part of bringing that to the Yukon and starting that whole thing. Yeah, I felt very fortunate to to have the privilege of of working on that initiative and really getting to see it grow. And really one of the greatest, I think, pleasures for me is that there are still some people, you know, that was, it was launched in 2014 and there's still people who are volunteering there who were there from the beginning. Amazing. So you, you also had a hand in establishing the Yukon Interagency Network on Disability. Can you tell us about that experience and what the Yukon Interagency Network on Disability is all about? Yeah, sure. So after I transitioned out of the distress line, I ended up taking on a role as the executive director with Tegatha Oje, which was an organization providing programming and support to people with neurodevelopmental disabilities. And early on in that work, I realized that there were many organizations supporting people with disabilities in the community and wanted to find a way to bring them together to create a space where really where we could just share our experiences and our perspectives and our resources and identify any gaps that we saw because there were so many of us offering support. And so I had put a call out to several organizations and we ended up getting a really great response. And at that that time, nine organizations came together and really looked at what are some ways that we can collaborate better moving forward? Where can we share information on what we're experiencing uh, and the people that we're supporting are experiencing? And so that initiative ended up starting shortly after I began the role at Tegatha and, and still is going to this day and actually was part of developing several collaborative projects. We created some foundational training for people in the Yukon on how to work with people with disabilities. So there wasn't any anything available at that time at the at the college, which is now a university. They didn't have any programming. So we ended up working together to, to create some foundational training for people. We created a collective impact strategy and we worked on several projects uh, and events together as well. What an incredible sense of accomplishment that must have been for you to have implemented these initiatives and, and seen them through and see them still going today. I mean, that's got to feel pretty amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's it's something, you know, one of the things that I always find in any of the work that I'm doing is just, you know, I can't do anything myself. Right. <laughs> Not that I can't do anything myself, but I feel like especially in the work that I do in in social impact, you shouldn't be trying to find all the solutions on your own as one organization in a field of many. The more opportunities you can create to bring people into the conversation, the better the solutions will be and the more effective that they'll be for the community that you're serving. So well, for sure. I mean, community as a community, we, we thrive, right? You cannot lose with community. Mm-hmm. Very true. 
<laughs> How long then in, in total did you spend up in the Yukon working on all these initiatives and programs? I was there for seven years. Wow. Yeah. Seven years. Now, when you first moved up there, mm-hmm. was it like a, was there any kind of a, for lack of a better term, culture shock for you? Because you, you're from Ottawa, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm from Southwestern Ontario. Yeah. Okay. So moving mm-hmm. up to the Yukon must've been one hell of a <laughs> shock to the system. No. For sure. It was a little bit more of a shock to the system, given that we didn't visit before we moved. We <laughs> we did a, a Google Maps tour. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's an interesting way to get to know a place. Yeah. Although Google Maps is pretty good. I'll give it that. You can yeah. see quite a lot. But yeah, it was definitely a different experience. It's quite a small, close-knit community. And so getting to know people and building relationships definitely took some time. But uh-huh. I think it's also a place where you know, you can see there's there's a lot of opportunities to get involved in community. And so I had so many great, great chances to be a part of really cool initiatives. I was part of some work being done by the Yukon government on an FASD strategy for the territory. I got to be a part of a lot of mental health work that was happening across the territory. I got to speak at a few events. It was really, yeah, it was a great, a great time to, to be a part of something. And yeah, it was definitely a culture shock and a lot uh, smaller than I was used to and got used to it over time. It's kind of funny, you know, I find now my husband and I will talk about it that it was great training for our experiences now during our pandemic world because we were already used to being pretty isolated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were already used to going, you know, years with a t- years at a time without seeing our family. So it was good practice for what we came back to. <laughs> <laughs> funny how things work, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you recently you, you when you moved back to Ottawa you began the next chapter of your life and that was as the executive director of Causeway Work Center, correct? Yes. So how long have you been back in Ottawa now? And can you tell us a bit about what the Causeway Work Center is and what it's all about? Sure, yeah. I moved so I moved back in in August of twenty twenty. Oh, wow. So very a little recently. while now. <laughs> Still quite recently moved back during during the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah, came into the role of executive director with Causeway. And Causeway is an organization that promotes inclusion through meaningful work. So we work with people who have experienced either mental illness or some form of challenge in accessing employment opportunities that that work for them and that are a good fit for them. And we do that through a variety of in-community and in-house employment supports and also have a variety of different wraparound supports that we offer as well, as well, really looking at how to support the whole person. So what is your role within the Causeway Work Center and how did this, how did this opportunity come up for you? Yeah. So, so I'm the executive director. So my role is really overseeing the, the organization providing support around our vision and our direction for the future, working with our board of directors and our teams and our programs and services. And, you know, I came into the role in really what I feel is a pretty faded faded way. When I saw the position posted for Causeway, it was really my dream job. It was a chance to bring all the areas that really matter to me around inclusion and mental health and, you know, person-centered planning and supports and community collaboration really all together in one role and in Ottawa. And so when I, yeah, when I saw this position, I I said, that's, you know, that's where I want to work. That's what I want to be doing. And I was very 
very fortunate that that they saw a good match in in me coming into this role. So what lights you up or excites you the most about the work you're doing with Causeway? <laughs> Everything. My team, I have an amazing team of people who are really dedicated to the work that they do and getting to see them and how much excitement and passion that they have when people find work and they find good opportunities, how, how that lights them up. That's definitely something that excites me. Our future as an organization, I think there's so much opportunity for us to really have impact in our community, especially right now with all of the, all the changes that have happened to the, the working world over the last year. And, Mm -hmm. and also a lot of support that's starting to come about around mental health in the workplace and diversity and inclusion. There's so many opportunities for us to support. And so I'm really excited about that. And, and I'm excited about, you know, co-creating the future with our community. I think the more people work together and organizations can collaborate, the more that we can address some really underlying root causes to the challenges we see in society and we can come up with solutions that are going to go further. So I'm I'm excited by all of those things. No doubt. How much of a change have you seen as a result of the pandemic around these issues in the organizations you've worked in and in Causeway specifically because you're there now and you came back and, and started that job right in the in the middle of the pandemic. So how have you seen the change because of what's going on in the world situation right now in the current climate? Um, well, there's definitely been, you know, a huge impact of having to move services virtually. I think that's one uh, of the biggest changes that, that we've seen of, you know, how to, how to create rapport and build supports in at a distance with people. Uh-huh. Although our team has done an amazing job of, of really still creating those connections. I think we've seen a pretty significant change in just the job market in general, when we're supporting people, there's, you know, obviously industries that have really struggled throughout this time who are not in a position where they can hire. And then other industries who are really, you know, having a hard time finding people and are really working to, to build, to build up their workforce. And so it's, it's interesting to see how much of that dynamic plays into looking for work. I think that, you know, the the digital component has made a big shift in organizations of you know, supporting people around digital literacy and having access to technology so that they can, you know, apply for work and right. Because there's no longer as many options to just walk in and hand in a resume yeah. you need to go through an online portal. And a lot of interviews are being done virtually. So really supporting people to feel confident and comfortable in those environments and navigating those systems. And I think, you know, one of the, a couple of the positives that I've seen come out of the pandemic, one of them being that for people who have often struggled with that in-person connecting, you know, whether it's they experience social anxiety or other challenges, you know, being able to work from home and being able to be in an environment where you already feel comfortable and have more control over how you interact, whether it's, you know, choosing to have your camera on or not, or choosing to send an email rather than, you know, have a a person to person conversation. There's, I think, a lot more options for people when it comes to working now than maybe there were previous to the pandemic. So I think that's a positive. And I think the way the community has come together has definitely been a positive. Lots of organizations are sharing resources with each other. They're creating trainings. They're, you know, really reaching out and asking where they can provide the most support and where we can come together. And I've seen that be a huge, uh, a huge benefit of the pandemic is really 
creating more sense of community around services and how they work collaboratively with each other. For sure. I, you know, I mean, I know there's been a lot of loss and a lot of hard times. Everybody's dealing with it uh, in their own way and differently. Um, But there's also been a lot of good that's come out of this. I mean, we have to look at the silver lining Mm -hmm. when the situations are negative like this. So I think there's been a lot of good that's come out of this situation as well, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, another positive that we're seeing, or at least that we're hoping to see going forward is just this, you know, people have there, obviously there has been a ton of emotional, uh, emotional pulls over the course of the, of the last year or so. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, that, has so much possibility to prompt compassion, um, especially around mental health where, you know, businesses are starting to look at how do they better support the mental health of their staff. There's, you know, more training that's happening. There's more conversation around mental health in our community and how it impacts people. So I think that's been a real positive is just opening up that conversation and normalizing those emotions and really encouraging people to reach out for help when they need it, which I don't think does happen to the same extent. Yeah, I mean, thinking about mental health and, you know, I don't know, obviously you've you've been around and seen a lot of that because that's what your work revolves mm-hmm. around. But for me, when I think about mental health, I, I still see it as this dirty little secret kind of thing that gets still gets swept under the rug. I mean, I think we've come a long way over the past few decades regarding mental health and people's acceptance of what it is and that it's it's more widely people are more there's more people affected by it now but it's it's being talked about more but i think it's still not accepted widely mm-hmm. enough what are your thoughts on all that and i mean do you do you not agree with that would you say that it's still kind of a dirty little secret and swept under the rug so to speak as opposed to people being more embracing of it i think we're getting better but i agree with you i think it's not you know it's not something that's universally talked about the same way as, you know, if someone has an injury, there's, there's no, you know, question or concern in expressing that. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I also think that right now, especially with our environments being, you know, everyone's so focused on being busy and stress is really normalized in our culture and, you know, constantly, feeling stressed is more the more the norm than it isn't. I think that that kind of perspective and that kind of culture does make it more difficult for people to reach out for help because they see everyone else is also in a very similar situation. And so they may think to themselves, you know, what differentiates my situation from the person beside me who's clearly also really busy and stressed. Right. And so I think there's still a long way to go. I think there's still a lot of assumptions and a lot of judgment uh, when it comes to having open conversations about mental health. But I think the more we encourage people to do that and the more that people who are in positions of leadership encourage those conversations and talk openly about their own experiences, I think the more that we can create a culture of, of sharing openly about our experiences around mental health and, and emotional health. So then would you say that conversation and and people stepping up and opening up about it is the way that we start or continue to move the needle forward on getting this issue more normalized, for lack of a better term, in society today? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
as I said, I think we need to be, especially in, in leadership, the more people can model that it's okay to express how you're feeling, to talk about when you're struggling to ask for help, the more it makes it okay for people who maybe are looking for that direction or who are, who don't feel comfortable because they see everyone else kind of keeping it in or keeping it to themselves. The more we can just normalize that experience that everyone, you know, will at different points in time, go through difficult emotional situations. We may not experience it to the same extent as other people. We may yeah. not have, you know, the same the same environmental factors as other people. However, we all have the same, you know, range of possible emotional reactions. And yeah. so, the more we normalize that experience, and the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes to talk about. Yeah, it's like if these people in leadership step up, it's it's like a group. Um, therapy type situation where one person stands up and and expresses what they're going through it gives other people permission to do so in the same Mm -hmm. fashion right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely to date what would you say is your biggest hire your greatest win Haley? it's a good question i would say you know it's not necessarily a kind of one accomplishment or one win but i think feeling comfortable and confident just being myself in my work is something that I consider a big win of, you know, just feeling that I have the ability to show up in my work every day as who I am and that be something that's a positive and that be something that is encouraged in the environments that I've been in. I think that's a huge win. And biggest tie I think was getting this, getting this position with Causeway. I think it has, it's really been, such a amazing opportunity so far and we're still early days but i i really have have celebrated that that has come into my life and i'm excited to see where it goes is causeway a fairly big organization or is it pretty small right now we're i'd say a a medium-sized organization we have a Mm -hmm. team of about 40 people okay that's not too bad what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become so successful? I'd say my superpower is building relationships. I think creating connections with people, supporting people to see their potential. You know, I really, I feel like my gift is being a mirror and, mm-hmm. you know, supporting other people to see what they have inside them and really encouraging that and motivating that and building trust with people. And I think a skill set in that as well as just a drive to constantly grow and get better. Well, all of those things, of course, are incredibly important, especially in the environment and the industry and the world you work in, support and and community and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? I would say success to me is doing something that you truly enjoy being able to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself and being able to contribute in a meaningful way to something that you really care about. You know, I, for me, success is, is that it's being able to do something that I love and and being able to enjoy my work. Um, and also just cultivating solid relationships and feeling that I can honestly be myself in the work environments that I work in. I think that to me is, is success and having free time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. That's <laughs> to do important. things I love Absolutely. on the side of that as well. <laughs> of course, of course. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say the most important thing that I've learned in my life is that it's okay and not even just okay, it's important to take care of yourself in order to be the best that you can be for other people. I think before learning that I had a really difficult time, you know, I was, I very much externalized my focus. And so I was always focused on being the best friend to people, the best daughter, the best student, the best worker, whatever it may be. (laughs) And spent most of my life up until that point, really looking outward. And it brought me to some pretty difficult places. I, you know, I spent several years really neglecting my own needs and, you know, I, I gained a lot of my worth and my energy from external validation. And that's not something that was really not, not necessarily not just fulfilling, but it also wasn't healthy for me. I ended up in a pretty bad place health wise where I was feeling uncomfortable in my Mm -hmm. own company and where I constantly felt anxious or second guessed myself. And physically, you know, I had put myself in a situation where I had a lot of, of challenges uh, with my physical health and my weight. And that was just as a result of years and years of not really focusing on my own needs. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, after learning that life lesson, I really began to cultivate a respect for, for myself and for my own needs and for having healthy boundaries. And, and it resulted in you know, pretty significant change in my, my lifestyle of, you know, I, I lost a substantial amount of weight and right. I started getting into health and fitness and, and self-care. And that made a huge difference in, in how I moved forward, not only in my personal life, but also in my career as well of wanting to provide people with that same, (laughs) that same support of being able to see that their needs were so essential to focus on in order for them to really be able to give back meaningfully and intentionally to other people. Was there a light bulb moment for you with that, with your, your personal Mm -hmm. situation? Yeah. I remember actually I had come back from my cousin's wedding. This was about 10, 11 years ago. And I had seen some photos of myself from the wedding and I'd seen photos of myself, I don't know, hundreds of times. I look at myself in the mirror, but there was something, (laughs) (laughs) there was something that day looking at those photos where I just didn't recognize myself anymore. I don't know what it was about them, but I still very, you know, very vividly remember that moment of looking at them and saying, you know, something's wrong here. And I went into the, into the bathroom and stepped on the scale and saw, you know, how much weight I had gained and what I was doing to myself. And I made that decision that day to, to change the way that I was running my life. Good for you. That's amazing. Very inspiring. Oh, thank you. It wasn't easy. No, I'm, (laughs) oh, of course not. It it must've been very tough and a lot, it takes a lot of work. I mean, any self work is, is hard. And Mm -hmm. I think that, the first step of that is looking inside. And that's what I think people have the most trouble with mm-hmm. in, in terms of getting started with that is taking a look inside and taking a real look in the mirror at what what's looking back at you and deciding to do something and take care of yourself and step into that role and put yourself first. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Speaking of inspiring, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? What makes me feel inspired? 
seeing, really seeing communities being built. And I don't just mean like communities of lots of people. I mean, you know, having meaningful conversations with people and building a community around myself of people who are like-minded and who are focused on growth and who are, you know, excited about possibility and who want to make a difference. I'm really inspired by seeing other people go for it. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, to be my best self, I would say, you know, seeing other people being vulnerable and expressing who they are in such an honest way. I'm really inspired by that because that's something I always try to remind myself of in any, in any situation that I'm in is just the, the value of, of being who I am because it's a lot of energy to be somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. What does the word empowerment mean to you? I would say empowerment means finding confidence to, to be who you are just with, you know, flaws, strengths, room to grow, just that, that confidence to elevate yourself and to elevate other people to, to see their potential. I I really think empowerment is about not necessarily lifting people up, but it's really about encouraging people to see their full potential within themselves and express that openly. Excellent. I love that meaning. (laughs) What is one of your favorite quotes? I had to think about this because I, I like a lot of quotes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give, but, me, give me a couple. Give, but, I said, a couple. but I think the one I chose is loving ourselves through the process of owning our story is the bravest thing we'll ever do, which is oh, by I like that. Brene Brown. That's awesome. Who I really like. <laughs> what was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you, Haley? I think that a turning point in my life, like I described earlier, was mm. when I made the decision to to change how I was living my life for other people and start really focusing on my own needs. It was a huge point of discovery for me. I think I had always, you know, I had always known there was something more that I needed to be focused on, but I was always very quick to distract myself with other people's, you know, other people's challenges or other people's priorities instead of looking inward. And I think maybe I was just afraid to look inward. I don't know. But once I hit that turning point and decided, you know, I'm not very useful to other people when I'm just projecting my energy outward, when I'm, you know, not focusing on my needs, I'm there in, you know, physically there when I'm having a conversation with people, but I'm not as intentional or as present as I can be if I and have the time and the opportunity to recharge. And so that was a huge turning point of realizing that I needed to do that for myself and that it was a value not only to me, but to other people to do that intentionally. And so, yeah, I would say that was a huge, huge shift and has forever kind of marked the way I do things and how I live and developing, you know, a healthy habits and strategies around, you know, nutrition and exercise and learning to do things that I enjoy that way has really shaped so many experiences for me over the last, you know, 10 or so years since bringing that into my life. And that's been a huge benefit. Do you find yourself struggling at all to revert back to your old ways from time to time? 
Oh, sure. I'm yeah. human. <laughs> yeah. And how do you deal with that when that happens? You know, I, I take a step back. I, you know, I like to take moments to be self-reflective and find out where things are coming from. If I, if I'm putting too much energy out there, I try to scale back where I can, you know, I've gotten really good at knowing what helps and having those things be top of mind. So if I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling overwhelmed, I know that, you know, exercising is a really big outlet for me. And so I find when I make some time to, to do that, then automatically I feel a bit better and also having good sounding boards in my life of having a good support system around me and people that I can talk to when I'm not feeling my best. Yeah. Support systems are key. I mean, you have to have them. You just, it's a necessity. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will be one, two, three word answer type things. Okay. Sure. How would you describe yourself in one word? Human. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be a psychologist. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word future? Possibility. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Rarely not smiling. <laughs> That's a good thing. Probably you probably need to ask me what's going on if I'm not smiling. Okay. <laughs> if you had one do-over in life, what would it be? I would, can I pick two? Sure. <laughs> I would say, you know, some of the things over the years that I've said to myself, I would redo those of be kinder to myself in those mm-hmm. moments. And then on the other side, you know, some of the other redos in my life that I would just go over are some of the actions I've had with people when I haven't been thinking about the way that I've interacted with them intentionally. So, but I've learned from everything that I've done and I try to come away smarter than when I started. <laughs> What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? time. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? How to listen intently. Yeah. Listening is a, <laughs> is a key skill for sure. Mm-hmm. And so many people don't possess that skill. They just wait to speak again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite stress reducing activity? Exercise. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? I would make the world more compassionate. The last book or podcast I listened to or read was? The last book was Humankind. That was a really good book. I'm currently reading Normal People. Okay. Pretty good so far. Last podcast was the Rise and Conquer podcast. If I had an extra hour a day, I would? Ooh, sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That could or have a dance party. Either way, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> if you could sit down and have a one hour conversation with anyone in the world, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Yeah, that was a that's a good question and a hard one to think about. But I would say, I really thought about it. And I would say the person I chose is no longer alive, but I would want to sit down with Viktor Frankl and ask him, you know, how he was able to just continue seeing the the value of self-awareness in such a difficult situation and how he was so resilient and was still able to see hope in people when he saw the worst suffering that most people would have ever seen. 
You are the second person that has selected him. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? My husband, Greg. I'd say why, because he's really given me the space to truly be and become myself. You know, he has really accepted me for who I am, but also has encouraged me to be self-reflective and to grow and has always been really honest in, you know, when he thinks I'm holding back or when I could be, you know, I could be speaking my truth a lot more openly. He's always been a great sounding board for, for my own thoughts, but also in getting me to explore them a lot more deeply. Again, going back to the how key support systems are. Mm-hmm. What is your personal motto? It's cheesy, but be you. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> no, I don't think that's cheesy at all. I love that one. <laughs> if you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it and what would it say? Yeah, I thought about where would I put a physical billboard? I thought for a second, you know what? If I had a billboard, could I put it on the internet? <laughs> Sure. Then everybody would see it. Sure. And I would tell people to stop comparing themselves to everyone else. Just mm-hmm. see the value in, in yourself. Yeah. What's the most recent investment you've made in yourself? Uh, coaching. Awesome. Good for you. Mm-hmm. What is one of your biggest failures or life lessons, teachable moments, if you will? And what did you learn from it? Um, I would say my biggest failure life lesson is you know, letting myself become consumed by everyone else and letting my health be lost mm-hmm. as a result of that. And I learned from it that you, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give what you don't have. And so you need to give yourself time to, to recharge. And it's okay to say no to people. They'll still accept you. They'll still, you know, if they're the right people in your life, they'll still have respect and appreciation for you, even when you put up healthy boundaries. But that's a big concern, right? When you're in that headspace, you're you're worried about what, well, what if I say no, they're not going to like me anymore? They're not going to appreciate what I do. And yeah, it's, it's a big concern, right? Mm-hmm. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? What is one piece of advice that you got that turned out to be wrong? <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> and I would say that changing your health changes your life. I think that advice is wrong. Changing your mindset is what changes your life. Yes. 100. Oh, 100%. I mean, mindset is everything. It all starts there within this, within self. Everything starts with that foundation of self for sure. Mm -hmm. And mindset is so key. Once you shift your mindset, your whole world opens up and changes. Exactly. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You're worth investing time in. (laughs) You know that people, like I said, people will still care about you even if you don't do everything that they ask you to do. And you will be okay. You are still very lovable. Awesome. Lastly, Haley, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Well, I think I would say, you know, that there is potential in everyone and that we all have strengths and gifts and abilities to bring the world. We just need to trust ourselves to dive deeper and to get to know all of those corners. And it's in doing this and in truly exploring our own humanity and getting to know our own emotions and how we feel that we can build compassion for other people and understand the world better. 
Awesome. Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today with me and share a bit about your story and your journey. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It's been incredibly inspirational and amazing. Um, just your, your beautiful soul and the work you're doing is absolutely incredible and so necessary. So thank, oh, thank you for you. doing that. And just thank you for being here and, and just for being you. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for such insightful questions. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Haley Hexman. She is the executive director at Causeway Work Center based in Ottawa, Ontario. Thanks so much, Haley. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.